Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky i am dean linky this is the united soccer coaches podcast and it is indeed presented by league apps and i feel like we have another fantastic show tonight at seven o'clock on the big 10 network i'll have the call women's soccer with illinois great jackie manny as the Wisconsin Badgers, 10-2-2, led by Paula Wilkins, one of the best coaches in the game, will visit Happy Valley, where she used to coach, to take on another great coach in Erica Dombach and the Penn State Nittany Lions. Penn State, over the last several years, was led by Sam Coffey. I thought she was the best player in the country. I thought she should have won the Mac Herman Award, quite frankly. She did not. She did, however, move on to Portland, where she's been a candidate for Rookie of the Year. And more importantly, Vlatko Andonovsky recognized her greatness, and she got on the field against England in front of 90,000 at Wembley, and she also played on Tuesday against Spain. Sam Coffey will kick off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast. If you remember, we also have had her father, Wayne Coffey, who's written several amazing books, including the book on Carly Lloyd. And to be fair, that's where Sam fell in love with the game because while he was doing the book on Carly Lloyd, Sam would go and train with Carly Lloyd. Incredible, incredible story for Sam Coffey, big-time player, and she'll open the show. After that, another female legend of the game, Becky Burley, a longtime friend of the association. She is a key part of the training ground, recently initiated by Jeff Van Dusen and United Soccer Coaches. Becky Burley will be on to break down her role with the training ground and some special things that she's doing. She's great, as always. We wrap up our Latino Soccer Coaches Community Takeover Four great interviews. I want to thank Mauricio Lozado, who chairs the Latino Soccer Coaches Community, for bringing us the great Art Hernandez, and Art for bringing us guest after guest after guest, including today's guest, Luis Swisher. Then we switch to high school. Lee Gerald, who now heads up high school coaches for United Soccer Coaches, recommended Jimmy Kruger and Tasco, the Texas Association of Soccer Coaches, a few weeks ago. We got Jimmy on. Jimmy is great, and what he's doing in Texas is great. And then on Tuesday night, I'll be in Madison on the Big Ten Network, 8 Eastern, as the Wisconsin men's soccer team will take on the mighty Indiana Hoosiers. Of course, Indiana has won eight national championships. Neil Jones won a national championship as an assistant coach at his alma mater, UC Santa Barbara, in 2006. Great success there. Great success at Northwestern under Tim Lenahan. Great success as the head coach of Loyola Chicago for many, many years. Now in his first season as the top man of the Badgers. And Neil Jones, by way of New Zealand, will wrap up our show. Big time show, I'm telling you. And it all starts after this message from our big time presenting sponsor, League Apps. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. 
League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. Kicking out this week's United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps by arguably my favorite player of all time, the great Sam Coffey. Started at Boston College, then went to Penn State. Now a star for the Portland Thorns, and her great work has earned her several call-ups of late with the U.S. national team. And we record this on Tuesday as they get ready to play Spain, and we certainly hope to see Sam Coffey taking on Spain tonight. And, of course, when this airs, Penn State, her former team, will play Wisconsin on the Big Ten Network. For all of those reasons and so many more, we're so thrilled to have Sam. Sam, welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Thank you for having me on, Dean. Appreciate it. Yeah, Sam, you know, I called for you both your junior and senior year, which would have been, you know, the extra year as well to win the Matt Kerman Award. And you weren't even there. And I still don't sleep well for it. And now that's all behind us because Blackgo and Anoski and the U.S. soccer gang realize how special you are. So, Knowing that now that you're with U.S. soccer, tell me how you're feeling. Can you put into words what it means? Oh, no, I, I, I don't think I can, but I will obviously try. I mean, it's obviously just like my lifelong dream come true. And I think what's most exciting is that it's just beginning and it's just getting started. I mean, there are plenty of things in college like, yeah, not winning a Mac Herman that I think were easy to be discouraging. But I think I tried my best and and had such a great support system around me to help just use those things as fuel. And I truly believe that every single part of my journey up to this point has been just exactly the way it's supposed to have been. And it's ultimately led me to this place where I'm at right now, which is confident and loving playing soccer more than ever and enjoying kind of just this wild ride that I'm on. And it's overwhelming sometimes. I mean, it's yeah, stepping on the field at a place like Wembley a couple of days ago is not something, if you asked me if I was going to do that a year ago, that I could ever, ever predict happening. But, you know, I believe the twists and turns and some of the triumphs and valleys kind of through through all this journey have really set me up in a really cool way for where I'm at right now. And along the way, you've made some big decisions, some tough decisions, right? You made a decision to transfer from your original college to Penn State. That's a big decision. You made a decision to stick around for a final season at Penn State, even though you were drafted by Portland. That's a big decision. Talk about those big decisions along your way that has created the Sam Coffee that we see today. Yeah, I think, you know, those are, like you said, Dean, like really big and pivotal moments. And you can sense that that they're big decisions and you kind of just hope that <laughs> that the decision you end up making is the right one. I'm really big on just like gut feeling. And I believe that, you know, if I feel something is right deep in my core, that it's ultimately the right decision and, and what what I should do. And, you know, there's never a doubt that, you know, in those moments of should I transfer or should I stay or should I you know, go to Portland earlier, should I stay for an extra season? Like those were really scary and nerve wracking times. But I think at the end of the day, deep down, I knew which decisions were best. And I feel so unbelievably grateful that all of them did work out more brilliantly than I ever could have expected. I hear horror stories about transferring all over college soccer, like that it just doesn't, it doesn't end up working out or the school isn't what you thought it would be, or same thing with the draft, like declaring for the draft and then ending up not liking the team or environment that they're in. And so I am just so thankful and, and blessed that 
obviously in Penn State, I found a home and a family and and an environment that nurtured me and developed me in ways that I can't even begin to explain. I wouldn't be the person or, or player I am today had it not been for them. And then obviously, you know, going to an environment like Portland where, you know, you're playing in one of the best soccer cities in the country and I'm constantly, literally constantly just surrounded by soccer royalty every single day and just in such an unbelievable environment training wise and growth wise. So yeah, I am just so, so thankful that these really big moments in my career up to this point and big decisions that I've been faced with have, have truly worked out better than I ever could have, could have planned them. So this is the first time I've seen you since your Penn State days. And, you know, obviously the decision that we just talked about for you to play that extra year at Penn State where you were once again brilliant. But can you just walk us through when you got out to Portland and you're right, there is royalty out there. I mean, some of the best to ever play are on that team and you'll go down as one of the best to ever play as well. But can you just talk about how quickly you adapted to what they were doing out there and how you were able to fit in so quickly? I had never been to the Pacific Northwest. I had never been to to Portland, obviously. I just kind of, I think I got like two check bags that were covered. And so I just packed those and up and went. And, you know, obviously they set us up with like an apartment, things like that. So I really just went in with this mindset of one, I'm just going to be who I am. I think, especially in that last season of college soccer, I was navigating a lot, both on the field and off the field. And I really feel like I just had this strength and sense of, of who I am as a person, who I am as a player. I didn't want to change that. I didn't want to try and be someone I wasn't. I didn't want to try and be a player. I wasn't, I just wanted to be Sam. And I just wanted to be the best person and best player that I could be every day. And I wanted to bring what I believe makes me special as a person and player. And, you know, I think at the forefront of that was just like, a joy and a love of the game. And I, I had heard, you know, you hear through the grapevine, obviously in college soccer about different people talking about the pros and that it's, it can be sometimes like joyless or it's just not like, you know, it's not, you don't have the fun of college soccer. I was like, I don't know if I believe that. And so, and it's, and I have not found that to be true at all, regardless of what I was going to find in Portland. I just always wanted to bring my authentic self and I wanted to bring light and fun and joy and just the encouragement that I, that I think I can bring as a teammate. And I didn't want to kind of shy back from that or shy down from any challenge just because I was a rookie or new there. And of course that stuff is daunting and, and can seem, you know, scary and big, especially again, when you're on a team like the Thorns where you have Christine Sinclair to your left and Becky to your right and Crystal and Kling and a million others I could name. That was really just a key part of, of my mindset going into it. And I, ultimately have to, you know, applaud the women that are just were at the thorns at the time that I did come in because they also created such a healthy environment, such a encouraging environment that it was one that I actually could come in as my full self as, as Sam and feel welcome and feel like I belong there. You know, I received so much encouragement and advice and wisdom and just like support from the people around me, whether it be on the staff or, or players on the team. And I think as soon as I got there, that was something that I had had noticed and, and was one of the really big indicators to me that Portland was going to be a special place. You know, if you have, again, like a Becky or a, or a Sinky coming up to you and telling you like, that was a great pass or, you know, try more of that. Like me as a rookie, I'm like, okay, I could do that. Like, <laughs> I'm going to try that again. They think I should do it again. So I'm going to try it. I can't put into words like how impactful that is as a young player and 
you know, it's something that I, I hope and pray I can pass on when I'm not a rookie anymore. And, you know, I, I potentially am on a team with a younger player. And so it's just a testament to the people that I'm around every day and the environment that they create as leaders and, and veterans of the league and of this team, because they, yeah, they've created an environment where, you know, we compete every day, we grow every day, we encourage each other. Yeah, we want to win games and, and become better soccer players and people. We're here with the great Sam Coffey, who got into the game, as she said, in front of 90,000 plus at Wembley against England. She's expected to play on Tuesday, two days before this podcast is released against Spain, which is just incredible. And you're rolling along, having a great rookie season. It's not like you're an unknown to U.S. soccer. You had played on several youth national teams along the way because you've always been the great Sam Coffey. But at that level to the full national team level, as you know, back-to-back World Cup champions is different. What do you remember about the call that said, hey, we're bringing you in for the Nigeria games. And what was your reaction? Like you said, Dean, like I, I've not had a linear journey in U.S. soccer. You know, I've been to youth camps and I think the biggest thing really I had gone to was like a youth World Cup qualifying with the 20s, but never like a youth World Cup or anything super crazy. And so I think that that's also evidence, you know, to players who maybe feel like they're not on the right path or that this isn't the way that there is no route one to whatever your dreams and your goals are, whether that just be club soccer or college soccer or the national team. Like I truly believe with all my heart that, you know, if you have the desire and the dream to go after something and you just pour your heart and your soul into that and you trust the process, even if some days it looks like you're going completely the wrong way, that there is nothing that could stop you and that there is no like I said, like no strategic route one that's going to bring you to that point. Obviously, yeah, my first cap against Nigeria was, again, just such a dream come true and a surreal moment for me. I remember we were going into pregame training and I was like placed with the starting group. Andy had unfortunately hurt her knee in some way and and wasn't able to play. I didn't know that. I just was kind of like, oh, like I'm with the starting group today. (laughs) Um, And, you know, here I am. and, And I asked her, I was like, are you able to play tomorrow? She's like, no, she's like, it's all you. And I was like, okay, (laughs) it's happening. You know, it was something that I was anticipating would, you know, hopefully come, come soon. Um, But of course you never know. And, and, you know, I wasn't expecting anything, but, you know, I had made sure that I was ready for that moment, no matter what had happened in previous games. I think it's easy being a new player in this environment to kind of just like be so overwhelmed by everything that's going on around you and to even sometimes get discouraged if you're not getting into games. And so I just tried my best to be so intentional about the ways that I was watching the games, the ways that I was asking players for advice or trying to do film or watching someone else in my position and really just being a sponge and trying to learn as much as I could. And it's a really intricate and incredible system that's played here. And it's not something that you can just pick up like in a day. And so every day, you know, that I'm here every day before that first cap, I was really almost just trying to like study it and just, again, be a sponge, take in as much information as I could without obviously overwhelming myself. And so, yeah, I was thrown in with that starting group. I was like, okay, I guess here we go. And I I really just kind of had a similar mindset entering that game than I did prior to when I arrived in Portland. And that was just bringing me and doing what I feel like I can do best. I wasn't going to change who I am. I wasn't going to change the way I play. You know, I believe that I'm here for a reason and that they want me to be authentically who I am as a person and as a soccer player. And I didn't have to do anything differently. That does not mean that there were not nerves and that it wasn't like the most exciting day of my life because it totally was. But again, I had a really cool moment with Rose actually before the game where she was just like, 
it's just another soccer game. Like, you know, you've played in so many of these just mm. soccer game. And I love that mindset. Like, I think we kind of, for big games, especially, we can like hype ourselves up to make it feel like it's the end of the world or it's this, you know, it's massive. And yeah, like it was a, a big event for me, but at the end of the day, it was a soccer game against a good team. And I had done that before and I could, I could do that in this role and, and have fun with it. And I believe in myself. I just wanted to do it from a place of being authentic to who I am and, and believing in what I could do on the field and doing my best to kind of radiate that out to the people around me and, and infusing belief in, in them in any way I could, even as, again, as a new player. So it was just an epic day and a whirlwind of emotion, but um, I felt so thankful to get out there for the first time. Just two questions for Sam, because we promised to keep it short because it is a game day and we are expected to see Sam Coffey with the U.S. Women's National Team today on the field to take on Spain. And that is, as you think about your journey one step at a time and your answers were great on how you just embraced each moment one step at a time, do you find yourself at all looking ahead to what it would take to make that 23 World Cup team that will play in New Zealand and Australia? Like any competitor, of course, I'd be lying if I said that that wasn't a goal on my mind. And and every day, whether I'm in camp or whether I'm in Portland, you know, my work ethic and my drive and my everything I do, especially in this in this cycle, right? And in this season, like I have that in the back of my mind, like you know, nah, I don't really feel like doing this today or I don't really feel like eating well today or whatever, going to do extra recovery or taking extra 15 minutes after training to roll out or doing extra pre pregame warmup, like whatever it might be. It could be a tiny little detail. I have that, you know, in my mind and it kind of flips me right back to where I need to be. I think Vlaco here talks a lot about, you know, bringing our best self with the goal of winning the world cup, not just going to the world cup, winning the world cup in mind. And and whether or not I am ultimately chosen to go and help do that, I owe it to myself. I owe it to the team here. I owe it to my Portland environment to always bring the best version of myself and always take care of, of details that impact my performance and, and my emotional state, my physical state, all of it. And so it all matters. And that's something is a testament to the way that I felt I was developed at Penn State is there is such a meticulous care for the details there. And if the details aren't right, then nothing else is going to be right. And so, you know, you may think it's not that big a deal to whatever, skip a nice bath or not stretch something or not go do treatment or, or not eat properly or not watch film. But those things matter. The little things matter and they do, they do make a difference and they do add, add up and they're ultimately what, what win championships in my my opinion. So of course I have it on the mind, but at the same time, I'm, I'm just trying to take it a day at a time. I'm not trying to get too far ahead of myself right now. I'm just focused on beating Spain tonight, growing in that game, learning from that game, bringing the best of myself that I can bring and not trying to get too distracted by what the end goal is, but always keeping it close enough that it's that motivation and that drive and to always take care of the details and, and, and do the little things, because again, they ultimately make such a big difference. I feel like this is my last question. You also, every time you step on the field, you're playing for your amazing family. We know about Wayne, a big time journalist, wrote the Carly Lloyd book amongst other books. Your mom, big time talent as well. Your sister, Alex, who writes for The Athletic, I believe. No, she writes for the Philadelphia Inquirer now, right? Definitely. Yeah. And then your brother, Sean, who's a TV personality. Great family. I know Wayne and Denise are with you as you get ready to play Spain. I just want to end with your incredible family support because I think it's pretty special. Mm, yeah. I mean, special is an understatement. I think it's 
I can't really put into words what their support means to me. And, you know, of course my parents are, are living their best life, traveling the world and sightseeing. And, you know, I, I walked down to the hotel lobby to go meet them and they're like drinking wine at the hotel bar. Like they're, they're <laughs> living it up and they're enjoying the journey just as much as I am. And, you know, I feel so thankful to, to have their love and support. And I, I'm really aware that not everyone has that and, and has, parents that nourish and encourage them and just love them for who they are. And I, I feel so thankful and blessed to, to experience and have that love. And yeah, my family is incredible. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of what I'm doing here now in the pro soccer world tends to get a lot of the attention, but I mean, my sister is doing incredible work with the inquirer and and breaking huge stories and fighting stigmas. And she's, you know, one of very few, I would say maybe several like female journalists in, in the baseball world, which is epic. And she's just killing it at such a young age. And same with my brother, who's yeah up at 4am doing morning news anchor for a major TV station and, and is again, just getting started. So it feels so cool to just like take a second and recognize that we're all really coming into who we are as people and to, to our passions and what we're best at. You know, I think for each of us, like We've all kind of known our strengths and and our niches and the worlds that we that we kind of flourish in. But I feel like now more than ever, we are all really where we're supposed to be. And I feel so grateful for for all of their love and support. And that again, at the end of the day, everybody's just happy, healthy, and doing what they love and enjoying the journey they're on. All right, Sam. Well, I've enjoyed watching your journey, and it's not about me. I'm just an old fat guy broadcaster, but you know, I called you the Michael Jordan of that Penn State team, and I did it for a reason. And I'm so pleased to see Vlatko's recognizing your greatness and wish you nothing but great success against Spain and your continued success with both Portland and the U.S. Women's National Team. It's always an honor to spend time with you, Sam. Super proud of you. Thanks so much for kicking off this week's podcast. Thank you, Dean. Thanks for having me on. I had a great time talking with you, too. Pay attention to Sam Coffey, a new member of the U.S. Women's National Team and a rising star with Portland Thorns of the NWSL. Speaking of stars, when we return, we talk training ground with the great Becky Burley. Becky Burley on the bounce. Register now for the 2023 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Philadelphia. From January 11th through the 15th, connect with your soccer coaching community and experience all United Soccer Coaches has to offer in one place. Enhance your coaching resume by attending over 200 education sessions taught by world-class instructors. In addition to meal functions, award ceremonies, and a huge exhibit hall offering the latest in coaching tech, equipment, and more. Register before the December 15th Price increase at unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps. It's time to focus once again on the training ground. We've done it every week since Jeff Van Dusen announced almost a month ago the launch of the training ground, another unique, innovative idea for United Soccer Coaches that allows United Soccer Coaches members to have access to so many bits of information in multiple forms. And here to talk about her role in this with her partner, Brett Ledbetter, whatdriveswinning.com is the legendary Becky Burley, who spent 27 years as the women's head coach at Florida, winning the national championship in 1998 and certainly a favorite of the association. Welcome back to the podcast, Becky. Always excited to be here, Dean. What Drives Winning, by the way, can be found at whatdriveswinning.com, but I feel like we need to use this podcast to explain 
how this was created and what it's all about. And because it's a podcast, Becky, take your time and don't leave anything out. The way that it all happened was I had heard about Brett through a guy named Mark Dagnall. Mark currently is the Oklahoma City Thunder coach in the NBA. But at the time he was working on Billy Donovan's staff at Florida. He had sort of turned me on to this idea that Brett was doing some really cool stuff with footwork and everything. And I took a look at that thinking there's got to be some crossover with basketball footwork and soccer footwork. So I go up to Brett's Academy, which he was running at the time for fifth to 12th graders, watch them go through their footwork progressions. And I thought that was pretty unique. But then right before lunch, Brett says, hey, let's take a dip in here into this, what we call the film room. And in the film room, what they did was they used media clips of coaches or players, his players in the academy, both boys and girls were going to look up to. And they would send these messages about kind of character development through these players because the players were just talking about things like resilience or positivity or hardworking. And it was just such a unique way to deliver it because it wasn't Brett's voice saying this, it was these great athletes and great coaches. So once we went in the film room, literally after lunch, we never went back to the footwork. We just started talking about this concept of using media to drive these conversations. And then Brett started telling me about how in his academy, they could only teach through questions. People who work there were not allowed to make any statements. Now they could use leading questions like, if you don't use your right foot, then maybe you should use your... And then they would say left. So, but, but obviously as the players progressed, the questions got a little bit more open-ended and allowed them to have some ownership in their learning. And I just thought it was so unique. And I thought it was like repurposing the sport experience to help drive some of the character skills that we want in everybody, regardless of whether they're an athlete or not. He came down to Florida, started working with my Gator soccer team. I really took to it right away. I kind of felt like I'd found my tribe in some ways, because I always felt like this was a big part of my program, but I didn't think it was very organized. He helped put some structure and systems around that. Other coaches at Florida started to notice. And so he started working with some of them too. And we decided we would have this head coaches collaboration, which we would do once a month with all the head coaches at Florida. Well, first of all, there's a lot of brilliance in the room when you've got all the head coaches in Florida together. Mm. Brett would present a very short presentation at the beginning, and then the coaches would sort of take it where we would go, and he would facilitate that conversation, but it gave us all a platform to sort of have a voice in some of these issues that we were all facing, you know, just anything but X's knows. We're all dealing with humans, and humans all have the same issues. Once we saw the success of that at Florida, we thought about, okay, well, you know, there's so much interest in this. Maybe we should do a nationwide discussion about how do coaches incorporate character development in their coaching. We had no idea what we were doing. We had never hosted a conference before, but St. Louis was where Brett's Academy was. We decided to do it up there. And we ended up having an audience of, I don't even know what it was, like six or 700 people on that first conference, which was crazy. And all these coaches participated from all different sports around the country talking about the way that they would incorporate character development in their program. And it was massively successful, interesting. I mean, I could use so many different adjectives to describe it, but what was so great about it was it just started this national conversation about how do we as coaches get together and sort of develop ourselves when we're all coaching different sports. And this platform sort of allowed us to do that because we didn't talk about anything about X's nose. All we talked about was the human related issues that come up in sport. 
So as it relates to you then fully getting involved in what drives winning, you were still coaching at the time. As you said, it was like your tribe. Did you know that when you retired, this is where you were headed? No, not exactly. Um, I, I knew it was very interesting work and I knew I wanted to keep doing it because I was using it with my team as I was coaching. I think that's so interesting because you've basically got like this built-in laboratory of using it with your team. And then Brett began working with a whole bunch of other universities and athletic departments and professional players. And it sort of exploded after that. And I think it was sort of a combination of things. The University of Florida had some interest in making this part of their curriculum for the master's level. I had taught, but when I coached at Barry College, my contract was uh, one-third teaching and two-thirds coaching, and I loved it. I loved the teaching part of it. And so it sort of all came together. UF had this opportunity to put the curriculum together for what drives winning in the master's department. I like teaching. I was prepared to step away from coaching and all of it just kind of came together. And now I do a little bit of consulting with Brett, as well as teaching the master's level classes at UF. Well, that's super exciting. And the way I understand it before we get to the training ground part of this is even without the training ground, Jeff Van Dusen had expressed interest in you joining the collective team of United Soccer Coaches in a big way. Do I have that right? Yeah, I mean, I've always respected Jeff. I mean, my gosh, he's brought so much innovation to his position as the head of the United Soccer Coaches, and I think he's really wanting to serve all the members. And that's a pretty tough job because there's such a diversity in the membership. But I love what he's trying to do in terms of sort of hitting all different aspects of people at different points in their careers. And one of the things that I think What Drives Winning does is it does provide anything for anyone of any level, but it also provides people the opportunity to think about how do you lead the modern athlete? And that's one of the things I'm really excited about is we're going to offer a coaching lab. We call it a lab because it's pretty interactive and we talk about tools and different things that you can use in order to sort of unlock the modern athlete. And that's a key part of the training ground, the way I understand it, right? Including this once a month coaching lab, there'll be articles, there'll be other things coming from whatdriveswinning.com as part of the training ground, correct? That's right. Yeah, I'm very excited to share some of this because we have a good presence in soccer through What Drives Winning right now. And I think part of that is because of my involvement with it. But I think that there are so many people who, when they first get exposed to this, they're just, they sort of have the same reaction I did, which is like, where has this been all my life? You know, that's this question-based approach, I think really helps coaches evolve their relationship with their athletes. And, you know, as coaches, we've been trained to be world-class tellers. We're really good at telling, but it's hard for us to work on the skill of asking and listening and observing. And that's one of the things that we sort of try to preach in the coaching lab is, can you develop those skills to get your athletes to own their learning because they have plenty of people who can tell them stuff. Their phone can tell them stuff. Their, the internet can tell them stuff, but actually creating a platform for them to be listened to. And it's new for them too, because they're used to being told. So they're not used to offering information unless you ask for it. So it's sort of like this new evolution, I think of coaching in the fact that you can collaborate with your players just as much as lead them. Leading the modern athlete, and that will also include a once-a-month coaching lab. You just teach it already, but can you expound on that and tell people what they can expect in this once-a-month coaching lab through what drives winning and as part of the training ground? 
So the coaching lab doesn't just provide information. It sort of provides like a community. And I think that's something that can get lost in coaching is that coaches, I mean, sometimes it's a lonely position because you're sort of got your team and you can become your own siloed space. And you forget that there's a lot of people going through the same things that you're going through, whether it's dealing with parents, whether it's talking to players who always want more, more playing time, starting, all those kind of things, whether it's helping your players develop some of the, the mental skills and the character skills necessary for great performance. And so in the lab, we'll talk about those things, but we'll also give coaches an opportunity to interact with one another through breakout rooms to where they can sort of share their challenges and their solutions and, and some of the things that they do with each other, because I feel like that's what the convention does but we get to do that once a year. So what we're hoping is that the lab will provide a monthly opportunity for some community. Becky Burley, now part of whatdriveswinning.com. If somebody's driving in their car right now and they can't get to the internet, can you paint a picture of what they'll find by going to whatdriveswinning.com? Absolutely. We have some great guests and from all different sports. I think that's what makes it super exciting. For me, that was like probably one of the big breakthroughs for me was when I got outside of my sport and learned from other coaches too. And I mean, that's just an amazing opportunity to do that because these videos have all these different coaches from different sports talking about the issues, like I said, the human related issues that they deal with on their teams. And they're free to use with your staff, with your team and the access to those. There's different ones that are on the Twitter page, which is at WDW Convo, like conversation at WDW Convo is another set of videos, um, some that overlap a little bit, but they're a little bit shorter on Twitter just because of the platform. And they're amazing sort of little snippets to get conversations started with your staff or with your team. So please go to whatdriveswinning.com. Please be on the lookout for these once a month coaching labs that'll be part of the training ground recently launched by United Soccer Coaches. And we'll end with this, Becky, even without the training ground, even without what drives winning, I feel like every time the association has called on Becky Burley, you have been there. Why is that? You know, I think it was really ingrained in me early in my career by my college coach, who was Joe Pereira. And Joe's college coach was Hank Steinbrecher. So there's a long lineage of uh, history with the convention. I went to my first convention my senior year. Um, I was not going to be an All-American. So it was more of a coach development thing for me. And I, I learned early on that the convention was such a great place to, to learn, to meet new people, to network. Um, and I just kept going because every year it just offered different things, things that interested me, a variety of things that I think totally played into my development as a coach. And, and without it, I'm not sure where I would have been because I feel like the United Soccer Coaches was sort of that welcoming place, especially for young coaches, to sort of dip your foot into it and figure out like all these things that these wealth of knowledge coaches that have been in it for years knew all along and their willingness to sort of put their arm around you and just say, hey, like we can we can help you with some of this. That just felt so welcoming to me. And I can't I can never underestimate the influence it had on my career. Before we let you go, actually, one more, and that is you've just followed up Sam Coffey, who's overseas right now, getting ready to play 
for the USA. And the word is she will get on the field. She might even start against Spain. And you obviously coach Abby Wambach and Heather Mitz. But when you see somebody like Sam Coffey, who wasn't exactly just at the tip of the tongue of, you know, the U.S. national team early on, earn her spot through her play, not just at Penn State, but more importantly now at Portland. How does that make you feel as a coach? You know, I'm, I'm really excited to see someone like Sam because it's a little less traditional path than some of the players that have come through the system. You know, some of the players have come through the system have been on every age group national team coming up and more power to them. I mean, they should be. Um, but I think Sam's path was a little different and it's great for all players to see that that path exists. If you get into your environment, whatever it is. So when she was at Boston college, when she was at Penn state, when she was at Portland thorns, like she's excelled in her environment because she's sort of, I felt like squeezed the most out of every opportunity she's been given. And I watched her quite a bit, her senior year at Penn state. Um, and I've, every time I watched her, I was like, damn, that girl is a competitor. Like she's, she gets after it every time she plays and, and it's not even just her play, but it's like the influence that she has on players around her. And to me, that's when you really know you have someone special when they, they affect, they affect the environment themselves. Leading the modern athlete once a month coaching labs as part of what drives winning.com and the collaboration with United soccer coaches and the training ground, the legend that is Becky Burley. Thanks again for being on the United soccer coaches podcast. Always love being with you, Dean. Can't wait till next time. Thank you, Becky. Always a pleasure. And indeed, it's been a pleasure letting the Latino soccer coaches community have a podcast takeover during Hispanic Heritage Month. That's four consecutive weeks, and this is the fourth of four. Art Hernandez has supplied amazing guests, and it's no different today as he brings us Luis Swisher. Art and Luis. Latino Soccer Coaches Community Podcast Takeover when we return. It's not too late to get your program recognized for the 2022-23 season. Register now for the United Soccer Coaches College Services Program to enhance your coaching experience with educational offerings, general liability insurance, and awards and rankings eligibility for you and your players. The College Services Program serves to support you and your coaches, recognize your students' amazing efforts on the field and in the classroom, and advocate for meaningful change that protects our coaches and players. Register today by visiting unitedsoccercoaches.org backslash college. Performance analysis is now recognized as having a crucial role to play in any coaching program. The United Soccer Coaches Performance Analysis Level 1 Special Topics Diploma will provide coaches with real-world examples of how analysis is being used to enhance the individual player development process and maximize team performance. Additionally, successful candidates will achieve Level 1 accreditation as an Applied Performance Analyst from the International Society of Performance Analysis of Sport. Register now by visiting the Master Course Schedule on unitedsoccercoaches.org. This is Coach Art, and I want to thank United Soccer Coaches for giving the Latino Soccer Coaches community a spot in four consecutive United Soccer Coaches podcasts. And today we have Luis Swisher. Luis, can you please let us know uh, where you're from and what do you do? Hi, Art. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. I'm, uh, I'm originally from Guatemala, but uh, I've been living in the, in the U.S. for 10 years. And yeah, excited to be here with you and currently living in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, working for a club here in, uh, in the area. 
And we're talking about Hispanic Heritage Month. And I'm wondering, what does Hispanic Heritage Month mean to you? Well, it's, I think it is, it is, it is important um, for us uh, Latinx, and we are a lot in the country, and uh, it is important to have a, uh, a moment of remembering the people that, that also contributes to this country. Um, I think uh, from being a Pan and Latinx coming to, to here to the U.S. And, and being able to, you know, be in a, in a line of opportunities where it's, it's just a reminder for, for everyone and, and how we collaborate to the society and uh, how important it is the contribution to, to make a better country. For me, that's simple as that. We are, you know, the same as everyone. It's just uh, we're trying to, like I said, try to give a, from now from our side, trying to be able to contribute to, to the country. Now, and speaking of contributions, how do you think or, or what do you think of the Hispanic or Latin influence on U.S. soccer has unfolded over the last 10, 20 years? Well, I think it, it always been huge because um, coming from different countries or Latinx uh, um, countries where, where you have a passion for the sport. So being football or soccer, being the main sport in those countries. Coming, if you go all the way back to 40, 50 years, I mean, it's the, for the influence of obviously of all these immigrants coming from from soccer, uh, football backgrounds where, uh, where soccer and football here has not been as uh, in the past has not been as, as it is uh, one of the most prominent sports in the country. I think it, it gives a little bit to, to the, like I said, to the society about in terms of the sports, because before... Um, and he, you can see it before there, w- there was more and more and more from the building of those teams because it was the people that was it was the, the players that they were trying to you know get a you know get involved in the sport. So obviously as it has evolved, there's more and more. Not only obviously Latinx and Hispanic, there's a lot of obviously people now and kids from different you know backgrounds that they play the sport. Uh, but I think that was one of the contributions before, and you can see it in either national team, you can see it even in the local clubs, you can see it in everything because there was a, a lot of that, you know, we don't need to go, we need to go find clubs because we were, you know, kind of trying to get where can we play soccer because for, for where we come from, it is, you know, it's the, the most permanent sport. So you, you, can, you can just get a ball, play in the streets, and that's, that's it. That's simple as that. Um, you go to any part of the country, and then you will see people playing, playing soccer, playing football. Now, that has developed, obviously, here because of many different variables, which is the distance, which is because they're big cities, because it's, it's everything. But in the local you know, Thai communities where there's Latinos, there still exists that. There's still a lot of that. So I think that's where, you know, kind of has evolved, obviously, with, with the different models that are in the U.S., but that's the biggest contribution where you can see that, uh, that uh, has contributed to the, to the sport here in the U.S. Now, if, if I look at your resume, I see a lot of coaching education. In, and obviously here at United Soccer Coaches, we love coaching education. That's what we're about. So what role has coaching education played in your development? And why is it so important for coaches to get educated? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I look at it as an opportunity to keep myself linked to evolution, to evolve 
and and because the sport yeah doesn't change in terms of you know the game keeps being the same what it changes over years and years are here tweaking there of rules but um other than that it is to I think one of the things as us as coaches and everything in life, we kind of get comfortable. And I, I, I try not to be comfortable because uh, education keeps me active. It keeps me fresh in, into all this evolution that ha- happens in, in the new techniques, in the, all the new things that comes out. So, so I think it is it's a huge part for me. Uh, and besides, I've been in a classroom forever and ever and I think I started to I was having this discussion a couple of days ago I was I was in the office and I was um I I went to an engineering in college and I was fixing something about IT in my in within our staff and you know everyone was surprised and I said well I was 10 years in a in a classroom of college I don't work in that anymore but I feel that being that you get to understand and know more about different things so so education in soccer gives me, you know, to know everything about the the real, the sport itself. So like I said, it just keeps me evolving all the time and keeps me um, fresh and keeps me active in within the, you know, if you want to be always the best for your players, I think you have to also have a commitment with yourself to be a, the best version of yourself within the education of how to become a better coaches because um, yeah, I, I was a professional player as well, but that doesn't guarantee you anything. I think it's a one thing it is uh, teaching soccer and the other one is playing soccer. So there's two different things. So I think that's, that's why I want to be the, the best that I can give to, to pass on to my players, to my coaches, to whoever I is around me and learn as well, because it's a two way, so you learn back as well within being in that education. You learn a lot from from other people, and, uh, and obviously within the trend of what is your environment, because yeah, you get a lot from different ways and different informations. But at the end, you know, it's you have to try to get those pieces into your environment because everyone's environment is different um, when you are doing uh, in in the coaching education. How does one become a lifelong learner? Well, I think, uh, I mean, it's, it's a, once you start, it's like, um, you, become, you, you become like that once you start understanding what is coaching education about. Right. Uh, and trust me, I got this from my mentor and, and I think, um, he once told me, look, Luis, you don't need to be in 20 courses to become a better coach. I think, and when I refer to a coaching education, it could be even within your, your own environment. You could be educating yourself if you have a process of education even within your staff, just to give you a, a, an example. So even within yourself, like just a piece of you know planning, reflecting, uh, coming back, you know, what it works, what doesn't work, that's that's also education because you are educating yourself to become the best version of yourself. And I think once you start doing that, because we think coaching education is just going to a room, going to a classroom. Yes, that's part of it, the biggest part of it. But also, if you you know kind of go trickles down, it is also when you're in your with your staff, when you are with yourself. So if you go and do snapshots, it's the same. So that's how you become. For me, you become a life alone student because then you get more committed to yourself to become a like I said, the best version of yourself in whatever you do. 
And it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter at the end what it doesn't change is the, the objectives, right? Everyone has different goals. And let's say for someone, it could be, you know what? I want to be the best director uh, of soccer in the country, right? Simple as that. It's involved with soccer. Or I want to be the best coach educator in the country. Or I want to be the best head coach professionally. So everyone over there, it changes you know, the, the big objective, but someone can be, you know what? I know coaches that they, their niche, it is, I want to be the best coach, head coach U12 in my high school. Simple as that. And I respect more, a lot of those coaches because, you know, they, that's what they want to be. They don't want, they're not looking, that's their objective. And it's super, I respect it because they want to be the best version of that. So, it doesn't matter what it changes is the, the goal for everyone, but we all should think the same way. And, and I think daily, that's when, when um, let's say when it comes to, you know, when you're uh, on different roles, um, you're trying to find your niche within the objective itself. And then now it is easier to, you know, be ready for new opportunities because opportunities come by doing good things. I think that's the most important. And like I said, every day will, will make you a lifelong student because you all the time are trying to get better and better and better. Not better for the sake of accomplishing your goal and being obsessed about your goal or getting a better job. It is about becoming the best version of yourself. So then that will give you better opportunities. I don't know if that makes sense. I, I appreciate that. And I'm wondering, right, like for, for a young coach, a lot for a lot of coaches, right? But but for younger coaches who are in that, uh, I, I got to coach at a, a better club. I got to coach at a bigger club. I got to move on to this. I got to move on to that. And always looking at, uh, at, at somebody else's yard as, you know, having greener grass. How do we slow that process down and say, learn from where you are, enjoy what you have, and really nourish the relationship and 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 the, the work that you're doing right now how do we slow that down for those for for those young coaches well i think it's it's don't get me wrong it's always hard because um every, i mean we live in a life where you know it's we're human beings and uh we all have egos we want things we want that life is about that it's about you know getting things getting being better and better and better circumstances and everything so that's that's where it comes tricky right because uh you the, the thing that i make it for myself simple it is um i'm not obsessed i'm not obsessed about the the goal what i was saying before i'm not obsessed about the goal i'm obsessed about the process and that's when i think you start looking at the grass of the of the neighbor right because um if you get obsessed about the goal then you are looking at the grass of the neighbor Right. And you're, you, you get an eye there and you're not looking at your grass. And basically this is where it comes to, okay, is the, is the opposite. Then that's when the problems become because you're not focused in yourself. You're not focused in your process. You're not using, and like you said, enjoying and embracing the process. I, I want to, I was, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was reflecting a little bit about, you know, where I was eight years ago and where I am now, and because I pop out a, a same situation that I have eight years ago, 
and I go like, oh shoot, it has been, let's say six years through, through from that experience to now. And I still remember the same spot and the same feeling. And, um, and I have, I really have enjoyed that process within that because I have the same, the same feeling. And I go like, you know, it, it makes me feel that I have enjoyed my process. I even feel that it's been six years and it was like coming to a place where pop out of my head, Hey, I want to be there and I want to do that. And then that feeling was, like I said, a couple of weeks, I felt it because this was like, this was like six years. I was, I was trying to get that. Uh, and I don't know if it makes sense, but I had the feeling of, I want to accomplish this. And then six years after happened because I had the same feeling and I go like, shoot, but it didn't happen in one year. It happened in three months. It's been a hard work over six years, but it was so funny that I didn't even feel it because I've been embraced my process and I been yes, I want to get to accomplish my objectives. Uh, there's a moment where you feel like, you know, and this is where you need to go back and track down. Like I said, this is the, the same analogy. Go focus on your grass, right? Uh, what it, where is your grass is not working it because that's, that's the problem. The problem is not looking at the grass of the, of the neighbor. It's about, okay, where is, and is the reflection every day. Okay. What, how can I become better? What can I do better? in order to have maybe what I want and the opportunities I want. What I see in most of coaches, they're more worried, and I work with a lot of coaches, is like, okay, how, how do I get there? Okay, well, hold down, you know, focus on the, on the press and, and, and embrace it and enjoy it because I think even though sometimes they're hard situations, we don't understand but why it happens, but you learn a lot. You learn a lot from even from hard situations. And, and it's just keep, keep moving. I think the, the biggest tool for me, and I think I have mentioned a couple of times today in our conversation is, is reflection. I mean, it's, it's, it's the reflection part. Everyone now is a big word. It's a trend. Um, I discovered this six years ago, but I embraced the word. It's not, it was not like, oh, this is a trend. Everyone is talking about reflection. I do reflect. This is a dynamic that I do even at work with my family. When I when when I even I screw it up in the kitchen, I reflect and I go like, why? Because my wife will say something, and I was like, it's there's a there's a lot of reflection in on for right in terms of in action for action and uh, you know everything that you do. So I think it is a great tool that has helped me to get where I want, I guess, and um and I just keep building and building it. That, that's fantastic. And I love the, the reflection piece. And, and you're right. There's a lot of lessons that we learn all the time with regards to just difficult situations that we run across. So now, how do we build confidence in, in players? How do you think we can help the players in our communities build that confidence piece? Well, that's, that's a, a really uh, hard question, I would say, because everyone you know, obviously the different characteristics and personalities of, of our players, depending on the age levels that we coach or the, the people that we are around in terms of adults, right, uh, within coaches. Um, I think it, it starts by by having trust. So that's, that would be the first thing that pops out for me. I know it's a hard question, but I would say for my process, it would be trust. So if you build trust, 
it's easier to you know to players uh, first to get get them to know them and then they will also know how you are as a coach if you're the coach that that you are direct that you are this way there that way I think that's it starts with knowing each other and um, uh, obviously it's it's about having empathy as well and asking questions about understanding your players once these two things get together and get aligned um, I would say that's when the process starts with going with okay how how are you gonna manage your the different personalities the different age the different players the different coaches and everything on how to build the confidence in what they do in in a team context obviously it, it is it is about you know um, make them feel that they're important uh, how do you make important there's a million ways of doing it you know a few of them to mention obviously. It is to you know if you have a if you have a U10 team right are they all having play minutes for me that's building confidence why because if if you're thinking if you're a coach you're thinking and winning on a 10 U10 age level I mean there's something wrong because uh, if you're getting the amount of minutes not equal how if I'm a nine year old how is it gonna be for me not being able to play or or rotate starters yeah you want. You know, you want your starters, you know, everyone feels like the confidence. Oh, coach is looking at me. Oh, coach is, you know, uh, I'm important for him. Um, as it goes up, obviously it changes, right? That's why I said, yeah, you maybe have a higher performance uh, context where, where it's about more obviously, you know, winning. So the confidence will mean it to be built in a different way. Uh, how do you keep those? 15 to 18 or to 20 players numbers where they they are important as well how do you make them feel that they're important so I think there's a lot of ways I mean uh, but I I would say more stick to knowing what we need to do than more than there's like I said many ways of uh, of doing it but uh, is the relationships for me is a you know building a relationship so it's easier to when you're direct, when you're trust, in terms of building that trust and you're honest, the honesty part takes off. If you're in a high performance and you're the seventh team player where you're not having any minutes, but you can sit down, see in the eyes and have a conversation and the player knows that he trusts you and, you know, because you are in his hands and he trusts you, I think there's going to be confidence if he plays five minutes uh, or he plays 90 minutes. So, um, like I said, it depends on what is the context, but uh, in terms of staff in coaching education, it's the same. And I think we discussed this a little bit off um, camera, but uh, the same, the same, the same way. Uh, how do we involve in our coaches to trust something that we're building and believing in what we're doing? So if 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 you have, like I said, trust, empathy, and building those relationships, it will be easier to manage. Um, some some of those things that for sure it will help you to build that confidence levels of confidence. Yeah, I, I appreciate that answer. Pa para cerrar el show, nada más me gustaría preguntarte, eh, ¿podrías dejar una, un comentario o, o algo que le podías decir a, a los entrenadores, entrenadores jóvenes que a lo mejor están comenzando su carrera, un, un consejo que, que les puedes decir? Eh, bueno, yo creo que el, el mejor consejo que podría dar es eh, que realmente traten la manera de, de no, no obsesionarse con llegar y cumplir los objetivos, que se obsesionen por, 
por mejorar su trabajo, por si se, se dedican a esto del coaching. Eh, no es, no es el, cuando uno entrena, no es, no es uno el importante, uno deja de ser el importante cuando, cuando ya deja de ser jugador, el que pasa a ser el importante es el jugador, entonces a veces nos cuesta separarnos, aunque no, aunque no necesariamente sea un jugador profesional, aunque yo sea un jugador de, de, en una comunidad o en el barrio, cuando me separo de ser jugador y me enfoco en que ya no soy jugador, sino que soy entrenador, que los jugadores se deben a lo que yo hago, eh, creo que ahí es donde empezamos a florecer y a, y a crecer en lo que hacemos. Y no obsesionarse con, ah, yo quiero hacer eso y quiero hacer lo otro, sino que enfocarse en cómo hacerse mejor, cómo hacer mejor a los jugadores, porque al final esa es nuestra, nuestra tarea. ¿no? Antes, como decía, no, nosotros jugábamos el juego y nosotros teníamos el control, ahora no tenemos el control. El control siempre va a ser de los jugadores. Entonces es cómo hacemos que los jugadores eh, eh, florezcan, que realmente hagan lo que nosotros queremos que hagan. Entonces es eso. Y por otra parte, ser curioso, eh, eh, buscar mucho, mucha ayuda de educación, tener mentores, tener gente que nos, que nos nutra la... la la, la mente y el cerebro de, de cosas positivas, de cosas buenas que nos ayuden a crecer dentro de esta industria, ya que es una industria bien difícil, pero se puede, simplemente es tratar la manera de, de tener un, un, una mente con más abierta y más de, de realmente de crecimiento, de, de tener la manera de crecer, de no buscar cosas por obtener algo a cambio, sino por realmente por hacerme mejor en lo que hago, que es la industria del entrenador de fútbol. What a great answer. Thank you, Luis. Gracias. And once again, I want to thank United Soccer Coaches for giving us this takeover on Hispanic Heritage Month. I am Coach Art. And now we're going to turn it back to the host of the podcast, Dean Linky. Mad, mad props to the Latino soccer coaches community. Mauricio Lozado giving us the talents of Art Hernandez, giving us the talents of so many great guests, including Luis. All right, we're not done. We have two more guests. A couple weeks ago, Lee Gerald, who heads up the high school coaches for United Soccer Coaches told us about TASCO, the Texas Association of Soccer Coaches. They have an incredible mini convention, very similar to the United Soccer Coaches Convention. They have incredible organization, and quite frankly, they have great high school soccer out in Texas. They are led by Jimmy Kruger, their chief operating officer, and it's Jimmy Kruger, chief operating officer of TASCO, when we return. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps. You may recall a couple of weeks ago, we had Lee Jarrell on, formerly in charge of all advocacy groups, now in charge of high school. Of course, high school is the largest part of United Soccer Coaches. They make up the highest percentage. And she told us then that she was headed out to the Texas Association of Soccer Coaches event, TASCO. And she told us we had to get Jimmy Kruger on, the chief operating officer of TASCO. And we're doing that now, Jimmy. 
Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here, Dean. Yeah, so Lee was really fired up about what you're doing. She said that she's made a kind of a tradition to try to get to your event, or if she can't get there, somebody from United Soccer Coaches always gets to your event. What I'm talking about is the big annual event that you do. Let's start with that. Tell us about the annual event that is conducted, because I understand the energy around that event is pretty special. It kind of works in our favor because it's a, pretty much a season tune-up. It's the weekend before Thanksgiving holiday, and Texas soccer starts pretty much the week we return. So a lot of the coaches are excited about the upcoming season, and it's a weekend enriched with education and meeting up with old friends. So it's a it's a good event. It's good weekends. It's built around um, classroom and field sessions, and then the social is is part of it as well, obviously. So I've been around long enough with U.S. soccer to know that Mia Hamm and Carla Overbeck are from Texas, and you could stop there, but you don't need to because the list keeps going and going and going. You know, you say those two names just for starters, and it kind of, you know, tips your hat to the fact that, yeah, Texas is a big state, but Texas also has been a state that traditionally produces wonder players and wonder teams. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I mean, we're we're pretty fortunate to be such a large state, but Within that, there are cities that produce quality teams year in, year out, and the high school scene's no different. We're definitely competitive, and when it comes down to it, we probably have more high schools than any other state in the nation, and naturally, that brings out better competition. When you get to it and you see the level of play right now in the high school scene, it's grown quite a bit since I was even in high school in the 90s and early 2000s, so it's it's just all about the growth of the game, right? And as uh, things as 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 far as high schools, it, that that starts to get to a level where it's competitive from anyone else's mindset. That's a good state of the game, or at least where it's going to go. So pleased to be joined by Jimmy Kruger, the chief operating officer of TASCO, the Texas Association of Soccer Coaches. And I love that you're talking about the importance of high school soccer because there's been this debate, you know, high level of, you know, youth club soccer. Can they play high school? Can they not play high school soccer? I even told Lee, you know, both my kids were basketball players, but I feel like they talk more about their high school soccer experience than even their basketball experience. And they could have played D1 basketball. They love it. And it starts with the camaraderie. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's the biggest thing. And that's what I tell my kids. I was lucky enough to play college ball. And then I played up in Canada for a bit. Being able to play with the guys that and girls that you grow up with and the friendships that are created, it's one of the most special things. Playing underneath the lights on Tuesday nights and Friday nights is special in front of you know crowds. It, it, it's really a, a unique time for kids to experience the game. I would say a pure form where the love and enjoyment is just as significant as the results on the field. So, it, you know, my best memories were from when I was a high school player and it's just something that it's years and years of developing and it's, you know, a hand that you're dealt with. It's kids that are local. It's not handpicked teams. So it creates a different element at more of a family sense than teams that have high turnover rates or, you know, and the club seeing players come players go. And then at the added benefit at the end of the season, we have the postseason and it's single elimination. And those games are, you know, it's crazy what's on the line. Uh, you know, our regional quarterfinal match against a district opponent had over 3,000 fans at Rhodes Stadium. We have, you know, rivalry matches that have 1,200 fans at it now that, you know, our district's starting to say that we can't fit you at our, our campuses anymore. We have to go into stadiums. So, like I said, the growth of the game isn't just 
where we're at in terms of level of play, but it's fan participation. And that's the biggest thing. You know, I have a division one player from last year who had a big East opener in front of 150 people. He played in front of 3,200 in the regional quarterfinals of playoffs last year. And he's telling our guys that, you know, it's pretty special. Pretty special, the success you've had with the Texas Association of Soccer Coaches, known as TASCO. I know other states have similar associations, but I don't think there's one quite like TASCO. In fact, I even got that sense from Lee. Where can people learn more about TASCO? Is there a website that people can go to to learn, you know, what you guys are up to? Yeah, you can go to our website, TASCO-soccer.com. We've established in 1983, it was a collective group that had a, a vision that they saw a need for education in the high school scene because especially at that time, it was kind of a niche market. And more often than not, there were volunteers fitting into these roles of head coaches that had no soccer background. And it's, it's, it's custom. You see kids five days a week. It's in the school setting. There's a lot of different things that go into play preseason, season, postseason, and their vision blew up into what it is today, uh, a state organization, I should say, with over 1,200 members and attendees close to the 1,000 mark for uh, an annual convention. So it's quite the growth. We have vendors and sponsors, sponsors of a global scale. The event is really starting to come into its own and I, I believe Lee said the other previous podcast that it's pretty much the U.S. or sorry, the United Soccer Convention, but on a smaller scale. You know, we have about 31, 32 vendors right now. The event is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but same concept and same format. Jimmy Kruger, the Chief Operating Officer of TASCO, the Texas Association of Soccer Coaches. A couple more questions before we talk about this natural alliance and unity with United Soccer Coaches, like to get to know you a little bit better. What's your background, Jimmy? Where where did you grow up? It sounds like you played, I think, soccer. Maybe it was a different sport, but uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I grew up in New Orleans, uh, Louisiana. I was pretty much a three-sport athlete there. When I moved to Texas, baseball was the other primary sport. It was me choosing between soccer and baseball, and it was an easy decision for me. It was tough for my dad to take because my dad was a big-time baseball guy. Uh, but he was always someone to support me in whatever decision I made in life. And there was no, no argument there. So I went with the soccer route. And even more, unfortunately, my baby brother, who was even a better baseball player than I was at six foot five, hit left through right, uh, decided to go soccer as well. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I started playing when I was three. Um, the third in line of my brothers. So I'm the competitive one always have been everything in my life is a competition. It's kind of my downfall. Uh, so that carried me to go play soccer in the collegiate level at Midwestern state in Wichita falls, pretty highly successful division two program. Uh, four years there, I played up in Kelowna for the Okanagan challenge for pretty much a summer league that, uh, you know, allowed me to continue to play for two straight years. And then as soon as I graduated, it was decision time. Do I get into the real world or do I uh, see what this coaching world's life? And I got on with a third-party program called Yancey's Life Transitions. It allowed me to work with the HISD, Houston ISD School. And within the first day, I knew this is my path. This is what I should be doing. Long story short, it uh, a job opened up at, from a head coach that used to be at the rival school of my high school district. 
they brought me in instantly. And then two short years later, I took over that program. So this is year 16th of me being in the high school coaching scene. And it's, it's been absolutely wonderful. All right. We want to get that name. What's the name of the high school you're at now then coach? I'm at seven links high school in Katy, Texas. Well done. Katy, Texas, great city right outside of Houston, Texas. I know that city well. We have friends that are from Katy. Great, great place to live and and work, I'm sure. Finally, as I just alluded to, this alliance with Lee and United Soccer Coaches really does seem special. She speaks so highly of you. You already said nice things about United Soccer Coaches and particularly their convention. Why is it a natural alliance? Well, the big thing is we're both completely about coaches' education. You know, I preach all the time that I'm a student of the game and I've been involved in the game in some capacity for, you know, 36 years. And I expect my kids to learn and study the game just as much as I do. And if I consider myself a student, what is a 14, 15, 16-year-old? And that's that's the biggest thing, education at its foundation. And United Soccer Coaches has been doing it for so long and at a national scale. And they have a, a much larger reach than we do currently about you know, bringing in proper clinicians, it's it's a simple concept and a simple thing for us to want to align ourselves with United Soccer Coaches. Well, we're certainly glad to be aligned with you as well. Jimmy Kruger, the Chief Operating Officer of the Texas Association of Soccer Coaches, known as TASCO. Lee said you were going to be a great guest. You are indeed a great guest. Jimmy Kruger, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps. Thank you so much. Well done, Jimmy. And thank you, Lee Gerald, for the great recommendation to bring Jimmy on. We opened the show talking to Sam Coffey, now with the U.S. Women's National Team. She did get in the game against Spain. She also played in the game against England. And we brought her on because tonight on the Big Ten Network, 7 p.m. Eastern, Wisconsin is at Penn State. Women's soccer on the Big Ten Network. Of course, Sam Coffey finished her remarkable college career at Penn State. On Tuesday night, 8 o'clock Eastern, we'll be in Madison for the Indiana Hoosiers taking on Neil Jones, the new head coach of the Wisconsin men's soccer team. And coming up next, we'll visit with Neil Jones now in his first season as the leader of the Badgers. Does it feel like all you're doing to manage your team, club, or league is busy work? If so, League Apps can help you get back to doing what you love, delivering a powerful yet simple youth sports management platform from robust registration and payment tools to automated communications and other software integrations. League Apps saves you time and headaches, less busy work, more time doing what you love. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps. We had Sam Coffey kick it off. She's playing for the U.S. national team this week against Spain. And, of course, tonight on the Big Ten Network, it's Penn State and Wisconsin women's soccer. I have the call for that game. Then on Tuesday, I am thrilled to have the call for Indiana and Wisconsin. That's 8 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday night. That's 8 p.m. Eastern, Tuesday night, the Wisconsin Badgers taking on the Indiana Hoosiers. Of course, the Wisconsin Badgers have a new coach this year, Neil Jones, by way of New Zealand, who spent quite a long time in the States. Wisconsin going into today. They play to Maryland tomorrow, by the way, on ESPNU. Four, five, and two with wins already over Utah Tech, UAB, Marquette, and Michigan. Ties against Northern Illinois and Drake. And their head coach, Neil Jones, was at Loyola, Chicago. 
2013 to 21, where he was 81, 54, and 24. That's legit. He was the associate head coach under Tim Lenahan at Northwestern from 2010 to 2012 when they were 32, 19, and 11. Very impressive as well. And he was the assistant coach under Tim Bob Stieg at UC Santa Barbara from 2006 to 2009. They won a national championship in 2006. He went to eight NCAA tournament appearances, two with Loyola, two with Northwestern, and four with UC Santa Barbara. And he's got seven conference championships, two in the Missouri Valley while at Loyola Chicago, two in the Big Ten and 11 and 12, which is incredible, Northwestern in their heyday, and three at Santa Barbara 2006, 2007, and 2009. That sets the table for Neil Jones, his first visit to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Neil, welcome. Thanks for having me on, Dean. Super excited to be here with you. Yeah, and I know you were super excited to get into the Big Ten as a head coach after spending time with Tim Lenahan. Your first season rolling along, obviously ups and downs as you would expect, but I think you're doing a great job. What are your thoughts so far, Coach? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been an enjoyable group to work with, and uh, yeah, we're learning a lot along the way. Uh, obviously, being the first season, we've got a lot of new players, new faces. Uh, fortunately, had the time to work with uh, returning players in the spring. So really enjoyed that time and just getting to know personalities. You know, this is a team sport. So understanding obviously soccer, personality, skill set, but also mentality and personality as, as human beings. You know, what drives these guys? How are they going to respond to coaching? What can they take on board tactically? How aware are they of the game and, and what we're trying to get out of them? So it's been a fun, fun ride. Uh, we've had, yeah, some ups and downs, you know, it's, it's interesting, like looking at the results of the season so far, I was doing the math this morning and I think that, uh, yeah, we're four, five and two. And, uh, if games were 85 minutes long, we would be six, three and two. So not being able to close out games and, and earn results. And we've been turning wins into ties and ties into losses, unfortunately, but We've got a, a good group, a good core group, and return a number of key guys next year. So continue to push this season and tough one tomorrow against uh, Maryland on the road. Obviously, they're a great squad and, and on a roll right now. And then we got the Hoosiers coming to Madison on Tuesday night. I do want to point out that Wisconsin was smoking Tulsa and then Mother Nature in some weird circumstances, maybe even a little gamesmanship disqualified that game, unfortunately, because that would have been a win for sure. So another note is Tulsa is always a top 25 program. You mentioned Maryland and then, of course, Indiana. The big thing is you get national exposure. You'll be on ESPNU and then you'll be on the Big Ten Network, I think, for the first time on Tuesday night. What does that mean for you and your program in your first season? Yeah, that's huge for the program, you know, and for not just for the program, but for the alumni, the proud alums of not only Wisconsin, but the men's soccer program and, and all student athletes to be able to see their alma mater on on national TV two times in you know five days. And hopefully we can put on a performance in, in both games to, you know, make them proud. And obviously for fans of of the program, of the university, and, and for recruits out there who are evaluating us and our style of play and, and, and how we coach and who our players are, great for our student athletes as well to be exposed to, to national TV and any future professional scouts out there potentially watching both programs. 
Reminding you again that Neil broke into coaching at UC Santa Barbara 2006 to 2009 by way of New Zealand. That's also where he played. He was a two-year captain, two-time All-Big West selection, an academic All-American and Big West Scholar Athlete of the Year. Neil played for Santa Barbara. The team went a remarkable 66-15-7 during his four years on the pitch. And I need you to remind our listeners how you found your way from New Zealand to Santa Barbara. Yeah, it's quite an interesting story, you know, like I, I was happy in New Zealand. I was going to college in New Zealand, actually, and, and playing top level men's men's soccer down there. Uh, but yeah, got approached by UCSB back in what was it, 2000 um, to come to the US because I had played in the under 17 World Cup in 1999, which was held in New Zealand. Landon Donovan was on that team, Demarcus Beasley, Gucci Onyewu, Kyle Beckerman, some of the top, top young players coming through the national team at that point and obviously went on to establish themselves as full national team players. But yeah, UCSB at the time uh, with Coach Vomstig just starting at, at UCSB, and I think in, two, in 1999 he started, uh, I found it tough to get the best in-state talent from California. You know, UCSB back then wasn't what it is today, which is a, a juggernaut of a program. And, you know, he, he decided to go not only out of state, but out of country. So went with some international players and myself and Tony Lockhead came from that national team to UCSB. And it wasn't a tough sell, um, you know, great institution academically, uh, beautiful location. And Coach Vomstig had some, some huge plans for the program. And those all came to fruition, you know, while we were there. Um, so... Yeah, it was a, a fun ride at UCSB and, you know, like lifelong friends and groomsmen in my wedding and uh, just continue to have great relationships with the guys that I played with. And it was a special time in my life and one that I'm very thankful to have experienced. Well, and obviously it was special enough for you to decide one year after making a final as a player to essentially return to the coaching staff. And then in 2006, you win the national championship, your first season as a coach. That's not a bad way to break into coaching, by the way, Neil. Yeah. I felt like I should uh, maybe retire on the spot. You know, yeah, <laughs> I've been in, I started in May of 2006 and then in December of 2006, we won the national title. So uh, I honestly thought to myself, wow, this is, this isn't actually that hard. This is kind of easy, <laughs> but uh, man, how I've learned how hard it is just to make the NCAA tournament alone. And then uh, from there, obviously, you're going to have to win a number of games to to get to the national championship game. But yeah, that was that was a really good group. 2006, some some top pros on there, future MLS like pros. Chris Pontius was on that team. Eric Avila, Andy Iro. You know, that was a really good squad of of great guys. And again, guys that I continue to stay in touch with. In fact, uh, yeah, I've got Chris Pontius uh, coming to chat with uh, our Wisconsin team uh, tonight. Actually. Uh, in Maryland because uh, he's he's out there and uh, have a great relationship with him and I'm excited to have him come chat with our guys. It's tremendous when you can use not necessarily Wisconsin alumni, but somebody that made a difference in your coaching career. And one of the things I find fascinating about your story is you had all the success with this juggernaut, UC Santa Barbara, that could recruit worldwide. And then you decided to go and work with Tim Lenahan, who essentially had to do it through smoke and mirrors, yet had amazing success in 20 years, including the time when you were there, when they went 32, 19, and 11, and one of those years winning the double. Uh, can you remind us uh, the difference in working for Tim? And I know that was good. And then the difference in working for the other Tim and Tim Lenahan. Yeah, it was it was two completely different programs and, and just kind of how 
each each head coach ran it and it was neither one was better than the other they were just different you know so coach Vomstig at that time that was like a a, a pro factory you know like uh you you went to UCSB to obviously develop as a player and, and get a great education but that's where you kind of went if you wanted to continue your career in in soccer and hopefully move on to the pros either in the MLS or Europe um Northwestern was a different different cell really you know what an elite academic institution and and that's where you went to you know first get an education and you know coach Lenahan would talk about that that a number of players would would be going pro and things other than soccer outside of Northwestern which would be doctors and lawyers and and businessmen and just elite you know professional world uh jobs so that was something I had to get used to in terms of like the soccer was always important to the to the student athletes, but it wasn't the number one thing on their mind at all times because you know not only is Northwestern a great school, but there's a reason it's a great school. There's a lot of work to be done in the classroom. So just being able to connect with the players, not just on a soccer level, but on a personal level, was something that I had to adjust to and and uh, even connect with them on an academic level. Although you know all of them were much smarter than I was, but um yeah just again connect finding a way to connect with each individual and, and get everything out of them and squeeze every ounce of soccer ability and soccer commitment to the program was something that i learned um during my time at northwestern and much appreciated you know working with coach lenahan and learning a lot from him you climb the ladder as you become the associate head coach at northwestern and then schools start calling you get an opportunity not too far down the road from evanston loyola chicago 81 54 and 24 talk about your time at Loyola yeah it was interesting you know like college athletics you move around so much if you want to move up the ladder as you say but it was funny my wife and I we were living in Chicago at the time so when I got the Loyola job I was actually it reduced my commute uh which mm -hmm. is crazy to think but uh yeah that what an uh, amazing place that was and forever grateful for the administration for taking a chance on an unproven like head coach at least at that time and learned a lot made made some mistakes you know learn from them continue to recruit continue to find my niche and and the blend of what I learned from coach Lenahan and coach Farmsteeg and kind of make my own recipe for success and yeah we were super successful um, I was fortunate enough to have some amazing assistant coaches along the way that I learned a lot from you know you got coach Brian Plotkin who's now uh, the head coach at Army, Coach Nate Boyden, who is the director of the Chicago Fire Academy at the moment. Pat Flynn, who I just coached against this week, uh, who's now the head coach at Drake. Jeremy Proud, who's at you know New York Red Bulls, just to name a few of those guys that I that I had along the way. So we found a way to you know get great players from the from the Midwest and sprinkle in some international talent and yeah build a co culture of competing and developing and winning and. We had a ton of success, and it was a lot of fun with those guys. As I mentioned, so many great wins, seven conference championships during your coaching tenure, eight NCAA tournament appearances, including a national championship for UC Santa Barbara. But I got to believe that first Big Ten win as a head coach in the Big Ten over Michigan, that's got to be up there in the top five, I would think. Yeah, that was a fun night. That was a fun night. And, you know, we... We've had a few Big Ten results. You know, we started 0-3 in the, in the Big Ten, and, and this league is you get punished for mistakes, you know, like a 1-0 loss on the road at Penn State with a late goal. Unfortunate red card early on against Rutgers led to a 2-0 a defeat. And then I thought we played really well at Michigan State, but made a mistake on a on a 
throw-in and lost one nil on the road, you know, and we needed a result against Michigan and, and the boys like really dug in the week before training and preparing and uh, yeah, made, made, made some big plays and came away with, with the win. And yeah, it was a, it was a cool moment, you know, as it was counting down 10 seconds to go and the game was done and dusted at that point and just kind of thinking to myself, wow, like I just won a, won a game in the big 10 conference. And I started as a, as a young kid growing up in New Zealand and had no idea even what the NCAA was let alone the university of wisconsin or the big 10 conference or anything like that but i've learned a lot along the way and had a lot of successful people that have helped me along the way and i'm appreciative for all those people so now the gauntlet of the big 10 though friday tuesday espnu friday against maryland tuesday big 10 network i'll have the call indiana and wisconsin i mean there's 12 national championships between those two teams neil set your expectations for friday and tuesday for the wisconsin badgers we need points. We have three points and we we want to get as high up the table. Our goal at the start of the season was to at least get a, a, a home Big Ten quarterfinal. So if we want to achieve that goal, we're going to need points out of out of ideally both these games. If we could come away with four points over the over the two games, we'd be very happy with that. I think any team at any level around the world and in any sport, you've got to win your home games. So while Indiana will, of course, be a massive challenge and, and have a very deep roster of talent, we enjoy playing at home and, and we're excited for that uh, challenge. And we know that they'll be up for it. And we know that, you know, we'll be up for it. And, you know, Maryland poses a different challenge. Just, you know, obviously they're at home and there'll be a big crowd there. And that's what that's what comes in the Big Ten Conference. Tough road environments, but our players will be prepared and we'll have them well scouted and we'll be up for the game and we'll try to make it a, a difficult, difficult challenge for Maryland. Two more questions from Neil Jones, the new head coach for the Wisconsin men's soccer team, who again will face Maryland tomorrow on ESPNU. And then Tuesday night, eight o'clock, they'll take on the Indiana Hoosiers. In addition to his collegiate coaching experience, Neil Jones also boasts time since 2016 as a USA national team scout at the regional and national level for U15, U16, U17, and U18 boys. He also spent 2012 through 2020 as a professional match evaluator for MLS he also holds a United States Soccer Federation A coaching license. We're on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. That tells me that education and kind of expanding your brain power as a coach has always been important to you. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I don't think any coach in the world is a finished product. You know, like we we're always we're always learning, and we are teachers. So if if we want to be teachers of the game and teachers of little moments in life, then we need to continue to educate your you know ourselves and. That's important to me, and um, I, I had a great time going through the USSF uh, coaching education licensing. I started all the way down as, a, I think, an e-license and moved all the way through the education system and ended up with my A, which, you know, was a challenge and a lot of work, and, uh, you know, I learned a lot along the way. I met some great people as well, but, yeah, like, uh, you know, being around the game in any capacity, whether it's scouting for the youth national teams or being a match evaluator for the MLS, you know, I, I just want to be a sponge and try to gather as much information. You know, I, I love doing this stuff for the MLS. Now that I'm up in Madison, it's it's not doable because obviously there's no MLS team here, but I was around great coaches and, and great players in the MLS and being around, you know, great MLS coaches with an earshot and like listening to their coaching points in the middle of a, of a heated MLS game, man, I can learn stuff from that, you know? So 
how do they adjust? How do they kind of coach in game? How do they approach certain players? Things like that. And I really enjoyed that that time spent, you know, working for the MLS. And uh, I do miss it a little bit and wish I could be around it a little bit more, but uh, learned a lot from, from those experiences. Finally, Neil Jones, as you know, I'm a family man and I have great respect for coaches' families as well because it takes some special people to support a coach. Uh, remind us how you met your wife, Stephanie, and then get us updated on Finn and Ford, how old they are. Appreciate that. Yeah, so Stephanie and I met at UC Santa Barbara. She was a, a student athlete herself. She was a swimmer. And we basically met in the training room. You know, uh, I, I had a few injuries myself. Uh, maybe I faked a few injuries just so I could uh, be around her a little bit more. But yeah, she had some shoulder issues as as many swimmers do. So we were constantly in the training room and then we would see each other, you know, at campus events or off-campus events. And uh, yeah, we, we started dating. Uh, then, I, then I went overseas for a little while to chase the professional dream and we stayed together. And that was that was a challenge. That was before the days of Zoom and WhatsApp and those things. So uh, we had expensive phone bills, but that was all right. Yeah. And then uh, our first child, Finn, was born in 2016. So he's almost six now. And then our second son, Ford, was born in 2019. So he just turned three. So everyone's enjoying uh, their new life in Madison and the boys are doing well in school. And my wife's adjusting to a little bit more work remote, but she does get down to the office as an attorney in Chicago every other week. She's actually down there this week. So everything's going well. So thanks for asking. As you know, I've enjoyed calling games and I feel like I always have the best seat in the house. And I can tell you in advance, it'll be an honor to call your team against Indiana Tuesday night on the Big Ten Network. Of course, good luck against Maryland, but can't wait to call your game. We'll have a sit down to go over your team. That'll be fun as well. Neil Jones, looking forward to it. Congratulations on being the new head coach at Wisconsin. And I wish you continued success. Thank you so much, Dean. Really appreciate it. I want to thank Neil and all of our great guests today, as well as some special people at United Soccer Coaches like Bailey Conklin, Brandon Milburn, Erica Dyer, Jeff and Dusen, Pat Madden, Steve Veal, Rusty Kugler, the entire gang. I also want to thank our producer, Colin Thrash. For each and every one of them and all of you, our great members of United Soccer Coaches, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.